0: Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Saren Kester, and I'm in the studio today with uh, Dave Hossetter. Thank you for coming in. And uh, providing the the, the uh, smooth low voice tones for us here, thank you very much, as far as <laughs> usual. Uh, and replacing uh, <laughs> Stefan's low voice tones, we have an upgrade. Peggy Sue joined us, Ooh. friend of the show.
1: Yes, hello, nice to be uh, here.
0: Peggy Sue from the Peggy Sue Collection, uh, ethical fashion designer and uh, friend of the show and local um, community <laughs> member. Uh, uh, we've uh, talked to Peggy Sue a number of times. <laughs> on a wide variety of environmental issues and she's here for two jobs today we're going to be talking to a little bit about what's going on with sustainable fashion right now and also just uh i've encouraged you to chime in with uh sarcastic or legitimate comments uh wherever she feels uh it's useful so you're no invited problem. to
1: do I'll, so. I'll give you that for sure.
0: Awesome. So I know we have um we did a fundraising social. First and for, uh, first and foremost, thank you to everyone who called in or, or used the website last uh week to support our fundraising drive. They had a great job. There is still an opportunity if you have not, and still surprises available, I believe. Um to those who still wish to donate, you can go to CIT.fm and do that. Of course, Sagream George is your favorite show, but uh, uh many people did. And so thank you very much. Uh there's always room for more, but uh thank you for everyone who already donated. Very appreciated. Um, on that as well, we also took last week off to not really talk, although it was sort of the unofficial fundraising theme uh, was the election of uh, Doug Ford as Premier of Ontario, uh, which I'm still not used to saying. Um, uh, But it is a reality, and we uh, well, it was very much the unofficial theme of the show. we We decidedly and intentionally did not dig into Doug Ford news. It just didn't seem... Like we had the breathing room to do that. And of course, we would like the fundraising shows to be a little bit more fun. So we're still not going to do a deep dive today. I mean, really, there's not a lot to talk about at this point, because the whole point about why so many people were concerned uh, was because they're all he had a bunch of hot air as a platform. So there's really not a lot to criticize at this point, aside from not seeming like an honest player, uh, there's not a lot to talk about. But we do have a few things we can talk about, and uh, the one thing I'm going to I'm excited to dig into is there was a interesting review we'll get to in a moment in the Star about uh, some exit polling, if you will. That's in scare quotes, but so, some surveys uh, about why. Uh, why people voted for Ford, the people who did, why did they? And I think it's worth digging into. So I'm excited to talk about that. However, we do have a number of other news items coming up, and Dave is largely going to be our, our ballast here today, keeping us afloat. Uh, so Dave, if I can pass it to you to, uh, to uh, just overview the, some of the other stuff we're going to talk about and then introduce the, the Doug Ford story.
2: Yes, you may. So uh, we're going to do three stories. We're going to start with a local municipal story. <clears throat> then we're going to move to the provincial uh, uh, brief talk about the exit polls uh, for Doug Ford, and then move to a more national uh, story about uh, a pipeline spill in B.C. So, Mayor uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory is being called on to take concrete action on the scourge of vehicular, cyclist, and pedestrian deaths in the city. Former chief planner for Toronto Jennifer Keysmat matt is calling for a state of emergency, quoting an unnamed source in a tweet reading, quote, Dependence on the car threatens our ability to grow and become a stronger and more innovative and inclusive global city. Two years ago, Mayor Tory uh, announced the implementation of an initiative called Vision Zero, which was meant to eliminate traffic deaths by 2021. But recent data proves that more, not fewer people, have been dying on the roads since the announcement. Jessica's speaker a member of the group Friends and Families for Safe Streets who suffered serious injuries when hit by a car on her bicycle three years ago, said, quote, It's pretty clear we have leadership that doesn't mind sacrificing pedestrian lives to make sure our streets are convenient for people who drive cars. City's expert at, this, at the University of Toronto, Richard, Florida, calls the municipal and provincial efforts to curb traffic deaths, quote, shockingly neglectful. The mayor's office is calling for new bike lanes and doubling speeding fines in school zones, along with photo radar in those zones. Critics are calling for an immediate speed limit drop to 30 kilometers per hour across the city, harsher penalties for drivers who kill, expanding bike lanes and making them more protected, redesigning roads to slow traffic, and creating more and better pedestrian crossings. The mayor is not typically being supportive of biking infrastructure, but ensures us that he is losing sleep over the deaths. Toronto has yet to implement a comprehensive bike network like those in Vancouver, New York, and Montreal, and it has been pointed out that many city streets in Toronto still feel like highways. And uh, that is the uh, the notes I had for that story. Sarah, did you have a comment on it?
0: Yeah, so I think I think there's a number of uh, things to dig into, uh, and I would like to do that, um, but I'm I find it very difficult to start anywhere other than a very excellent point I feel like was made at the end of that article, which was uh, just to compare um, a, a similar dynamic in people's reaction. Like when we're talking about this, and and uh, my feeling on it is that often um, people will use arguments as proxies because not because they actually really believe in the thing and i you know and i'm not even saying other people like stupid people i think this is something humans do and i'm sure that the listeners could find an example of me doing the similar thing so i'm not this isn't a me wagging my finger from my pedestal thing Uh, but a thing that humans do is they'll often they'll sense that they there's something that they, they hold very dear and they don't want to make a concession on it. And and they feel like something else someone said is sort of a slippery slope concession towards that. Uh, and so they'll defend a point that they don't really believe because they feel like if they don't, it's the, the next thing that happens is that they concede something they really do believe and, and they see a causal link between those two. Th- okay, what am I talking about? Okay, so the, the comparison was made to, to gun deaths and the way that gun deaths are not taken seriously in the United States. And I think that's a brutally accurate point. Um, so often when you'll hear people complaining about that and, and actually some of the the tweets that Jennifer keys, was responding to, she, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a fan person, if you will. Uh, you know, the people have ups and downs to everything, but largely I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, not necessarily because I believe everything she says, although I think she's right about a lot of stuff. Um, but she is just, she can teach masterclass in just how to, politely bat away while addressing and not ignoring, but also not getting sucked into like Twitter arguments. Like if you read some of her responses, they're so measured. Mm. uh, And I love that. But more importantly, people will say, well, you know, maybe maybe, maybe we should be concerned about pedestrians and how they. maybe this should be you know, teaching pedestrians not to walk in the street, which is ludicrous, uh, first of all, because that's not how most of these accidents happen. Um, but second of all, like it's, uh, if you press to that person, I really don't think that person actually thinks that anyone who walks into the street, um, is their life is forfeit and that that's a just system that they would actually defend if pressed. Mm-hmm. But they'll say that. Because they assume that if you if you concede that point, be like, oh yeah, you know what? That's really not an excuse for killing people. Um, that therefore they're conceding to some ultra left-wing nightmare scenario where everyone has to, you know, get pushed around by robots and baby carriages, and the fast <laughs> speed limit is four miles an hour, right? Yeah, but that's yeah. that. this is a thing that happens, and you can see that very easily, especially from our Canadian perspective, for our American listeners, that's very much the perspective we have towards gun violence, largely speaking, and, and our attitude, but it, in that concession that I made earlier about how you know, we can, it's easier to identify these things than others, is that we do that exact same thing to car deaths, mm. uh, which is that people's lives get trivialized because they see See that concession of acknowledging the value of that person's life and the problem causing the, the danger to those people's lives as some concession that will lead to some dystopia in their eyes, and so they they defend these really ugly and hideous uh, points of view. When I don't really think these people are hideous, and I and I don't think they really believe that. Uh, I, I don't know. Do, do you have, do you want to comment on my comment or add sure. something? Sure. So
1: it's it's quite funny actually. Stefan and I always have this debate. Um, because I came to this city as a car driver and I still sometimes have to be a car driver because I have an enormous amount of things that I have to schlep sometimes for my business. And and so it took, it took a community and it took a group of people um, really helping me feel safe in not being a car driver and learning how to be a person who walks and bikes within the city and um, And now it's something that I try to do on the regular. But I do understand what you're saying. Also, being an American, still (laughs) working on it. Um, Yeah, I also get why you're correlating that to gun control. Uh, Absolutely. Like, if you concede one portion um, of consideration, then it does almost sometimes feel like you're giving away a larger swath of of rights. You know, the, the danger for, like, you know, for us car users on occasion who are truly needing of a car in special circumstances. um, Yeah, the idea that, that I would not be able to use it or have to undergo some serious considerations whilst using it um, was once a little more frightening to me than it is now. um, Because I've learned, I've spent enough time in the city to understand the other types of services that exist within the city to help mitigate those issues when they arise. But I find sometimes that commuters, which is what I get to ascribe to, don't know about all of the systems that they can take advantage of to help uh, to help really cut down on their car usage, because unfortunately, the public transit system outside of the downtown corridor is is pretty challenging still. So if ever I'm coming to the city and then have to shoot up uh, anywhere other than my home, yeah, it requires a car. And so that's, yeah, I think you're totally right. It is... An illogical fear, but absolutely one that still exists.
0: So I'm going to be I'm going to be more than fair here, more than fair, uh, and provide an example where I think not only does the environment movement uh, practice this, but I personally have been guilty of doing it. I thought of one while you were talking. Um, so the example I want to give is um, is around carbon capture and reuse technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, and I think there's a legitimate reason to be concerned about it, and that's often where it starts. Right? There's a legitimate concern that gets maybe enacted or, or acted upon in a in not the most logical way when mm-hmm. when facts are facts and you sort of drill right down to it. So the example I want to give is I, I'm incredibly frustrated whenever I hear it because it's often true that, and especially a few years ago when uh, like Alberta was saying, well, okay, we're going to have a price on carbon, but we're going to dump all the money into uh, only carbon capture technology. And that's the only investment we're willing to make because that will get us out of this problem and it, it allows us to do business as usual. That's a legitimate concern because if they don't figure it out in time or it turns out the technology just doesn't go. Just doesn't go anywhere, which they didn't know it would, and they didn't know how long it would take, and they don't, and they still don't. This is not like somebody solved this problem. Uh, it's legitimate to say, hey, that's not a replacement for dealing with climate change, but. After, because this was so often used as a, hey, relax, don't do anything about climate change, we'll just solve it later with this other technology, um, I routinely just dismissed as an, as annoyed anyone that had any news, like anytime I saw a news article about, oh, they figured it out, I'm like, oh, this again, because for me, it, it, has bec- it became and has largely become, frankly, a proxy for not doing anything about climate change, because don't worry, we'll figure it out later, mm-hmm. um, which is rational. Um, but it's not necessarily fair and not necessarily accurate. Uh, If someone actually did solve that problem tomorrow, that would be great turns out you know we have a huge mining problem that not not never mind the social justice issue and the corporate corruption issue uh and all these other equity issues around the mining itself if we find a way to turn carbon out of the atmosphere solve climate change and this can replace all mining because it turns out we figured out a way to make computers out of pure captured carbon that would be awesome that's like that's like you know one of the 500 things necessary to make the world a better place um so i shouldn't be like knee-jerkly against it but so often like conceding like okay that would be a good thing seems like i'm saying therefore I'm giving you, I'm now giving you my endorsement to do nothing else. Right. Right. So I think that's a legitimate example. Um, And so, you know, I just wanted to be fair here. It's not like I'm sitting on my high horse here, wagging my finger, but we just need to be aware of our blind spots. And I think it's a huge blind spot.
1: Oh yeah. And I mean... There, as a driver and as one who's converting into more city commuting techniques within that don't require a car, I still know the pain points. I still know the hours. Like, these, this is not when you want to drive a car. This is not where you want to drive a car. And And what's even more terrifying is when there are these massive trucks trying to navigate and make their deliveries or pick up supplies or work within construction sites that are in really pedestrian-heavy areas. I mean, those drivers... Uh, n- I know quite a few people within the construction um, trades. And so a lot of those individuals are not comfortable in those situations either. Uh, it's really not a win-win situation. Like no one wants to kill someone. Um, that's that's just the worst feeling. Um, I wish there were systems that allowed for safer transportation and construction and commuting. Um, because I think everyone would feel more protected drivers and, and individual people, uh, as well. So yeah, I think it does require some radical change. Um, I think it does require perhaps not saying like, we'll fix this later. Um, but how does, yeah, how does that come about?
0: Yeah. And I think, well, part of it, and I think maybe I'm going to go back to Dave here to, to, to talk about some of the details in the story in a second, but I think this makes an excellent segue to the Doug Ford story because Often, the, like the dynamic there, right? Because there's, there, it's not, it's not like one group of people. It, we can't mono, mono, monolithize, you know, people who are uh, on the side of, like, well, hey, you know, it's pedestrians' fault. Uh, or, or just say the sort of defending or the type of people who might have been um, tempted by uh, Doug Ford's line uh, about the war on the car and all that stuff. There, there's, there's actually – there's two distinct – there's there's many, many subgroups, but there's two big subgroups there, right? There's the people who just like legitimately have a transportation issue who just – if you take away my car, I can't do things. Um, and that that's a city planning issue. That's a long-term issue. That's an alternatives issue. That's a funding transit issue. That's, that's legitimate and complex. And then there's the just I just like my car, and it's a symbol for my masculinity in most cases, or perhaps in some cases femininity, but it's less common. Um, and this sort of like I identify with my car, and this is that reminds me very much of the, like the quote-unquote gun nuts. Right? As opposed to people who want to responsibly own and think that they should have that right versus people that like they define themselves for their passion for firearms. And there are similar, in my opinion, similar attitudes around cars. And what happens is, and this is how we segue to the Doug Ford story, is that there's those two groups of people. But when the perception is, reality notwithstanding, the perception is that you know, if, so if you're in that middle, say you're in that group where, hey, if there was a better option, I'd take it. But I don't see another option. And if you just take away my car option and don't give me anything… Um, I'm screwed here. So I'm like, I'm not one of the foaming at the mouth people, but you're not leaving me a lot of options here. Um, and the the other side is seen as not acknowledging that legitimate concern. Again, true or not, but the the perception is they're not exa- uh, acknowledging that legitimate point. Like with the carbon tax in Ontario, was doing a great job, but it was marketed badly. And 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 with the energy prices, they're g- good policies in the sense that they were achieving some very important things. Bad policies in the sense that they imploded because they weren't marketed properly or anything else, right? So, so what you do is you, when you do that, you leave out this opportunity. And so those people in that legitimate, I have a technical issue here that I need solved. The only people that appear to be on their side are the foaming at the mouth people. That's how you get a bunch of reasonable people who probably in many ways know better voting for somebody like Doug Ford because they don't see another option. Uh, to ally with either someone who's going to take all my things I need away and I can't live my life, and I want to agree with them, but they're going to they're going to make my life terrible. Versus somebody I don't really like, but at least they're not trying to take things I need to live my life away.
1: I wholly disagree with you. Like, please do entirely. I I see where you're coming from. As in, yes, of course, people are going to align themselves, you know, with with those you know who aren't going to take away your rights, but. If me not having a car means other people are going to be safe, screw my inconvenience. I will figure it out. Like that's that's who we are. We are survivors. We will make things work. If, if my losing my car means the end of my independence, then I really should be questioning what my independence requires. I mean,
0: but I think, but, but that does, I mean, we, we have to take into account a lot of people like we we don't don't have those options, right? If you, if you live in Brampton and your job is wherever and you don't have enough money to move and you don't have good enough, like there's, there's a large group of people who don't, who can't simply make a decision, right? And we have to acknowledge that that's true. Uh, you can't just say, "Well, if you don't like it, move." That's not no, no. You know, that is not, not, not an option. Uh,
1: but what is interesting is that there is a lot more car sharing going on, and yeah. there should be. Uh, there should be more carpooling. There should abs- like the answer shouldn't be, "Let's keep doing the same problem." The answer let's should be, "Let's think of a solution" as opposed to continuing to let some extremist who's going to run amok run amok.
2: Well, it's not just about. The uh, usage, how many people are using cars, and how they feel about using their cars. It's about rede- redesigning the actual city in order to make sure that people can use it in a way where they don't have to use the car. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one of the uh, best solution, one of the most interesting solutions uh, in the article uh, suggested was the redesigning of Toronto streets to make them to simply force cars to drive faster. I mean, you look at so many European cities that weren't designed on the car. Uh, the cars don't move fast because they can't. The city's just designed that way, and everyone knows um, if you try to walk or cycle in Toronto, it's an extremely boring city to try to navigate on foot or on a bicycle. So, uh, like, I think we need to look at the actual solutions of of, des- of city design rather than like people's psychology around cars. Yeah,
0: and, I, and just, just to be clear because we have to uh, mo- go to the music break uh, anyway. On that, that I was you know talking entirely just about sort of like marketing ideas, not about reality and not about the the choices but just when you know i'm trying to throw people a a bone in the sense that i could see how a otherwise reasonable person i would probably like would make a decision i very very disagree with based on uh misunderstanding reality and that's not their fault uh but that also doesn't mean and you were not suggesting this at all but i'm just i was sort of cautioning the listener to also not take that position that they're like the enemy and that they're my political enemy and they're just you know s- screw them as you were saying like we we need to understand that people come to wrong ideas for possibly legitimate reasons and the solution to that is is to come up with a way to sh- show them that and educate them rather than making them the enemy that was more that was sure. more where i was and going like with vice that. versa yeah. yes yeah. empathy communication yeah, yeah 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 um so uh as dave was politely reminding me with his cell phone we are up against our first music break so we're going to go to megan in the studio who's going to tell us what that first break is i think you forget that i love you yeah. Just make sure
2: you remember i do
0: All right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, and I do believe we have our uh, possibly needing to be renamed East Coast correspondent on the phone there, Lauren. <laughs>
3: Hi there. How's everybody doing today?
0: Wonderful. Good. Thank you for joining us. Um, let us know when you come up with your new title, by the way. Um, we uh, asked you to uh, spend some time because I, there was obviously a whole bunch of G7 stuff that was going on. I don't want to spend a ton of time about it, partially because this is all still very much in motion, Um and partially because I don't think there's a ton to say about it without digging really, really deep and doing like a 10,000. I, I think we can either do a 10,000 foot or a microscopic. So I think we'll stick to 10,000 feet. But there was two articles here we're referencing. They'll be on the website if anyone wants to follow along. Um, but the two that I had pulled out or had been pulled out to talk about was uh, the portion of G7 that was talking about reducing uh but reducing but not banning a single use plastic bags from summit sites, there's some commentary about that. And then the just the larger uh, piece about working together on climate change, uh, oceans and energy. Um, generally, of course, those two are very much related, um, as identified by the piece in the story, um, showing a, uh, a whale that had uh, the, the one thing that jumped out at me was a whale that had shown up dead on a beach with I'm trying to find the the, the actual number here. It uh, was something
3: like is, 47 tons of plastic bags. It was 87 like, tons.
0: Like, no, but they were, there was like 10 kilograms of plastic bags found inside this uh, the dead uh, whale that washed up. Would you think about right. like A plastic bag is like a fifth of an ounce or something like that. So like that's mm-hmm. tens of thousands of plastic bags uh, choking uh, this up. Uh, there's a lot of sarcastic comments make uh, we could make, I think, about <laughs> um, some of these things. I'm not super... I don't think that's super useful, but there, there was some, uh, there was some criticism, which I'm not super excited about. I don't think it's super meaningful, but there was some criticism that, that this could have been stronger and, and that they could have gone all the way with that. Um, but there is some attempt to ban plastic bags. Do you, what are your thoughts on, on the ban and on the criticism that they, that they could have gone further with it, both in the, legis- uh, both in the proposal and at the day of. Yeah. Okay.
3: So just to give sort of listeners an understanding, um, at every G7 summit, they release a communique, which is sort of like this, like, couple-page document outlining, like, these are things that we all agree should happen and that we will strive to do, but, like, as with all super high-level documents, they're completely voluntary to opt into, and and they're non-binding. So, like, ultimately, it it, it only sort of amounts to action in as much as the individual countries that have signed on to the communique want to enact those things. Um, so this year, the communique covered a lot of things, but, but sort of, a few major points were, were particularly pertaining to climate and um and like ocean health. Um and yeah, there was um in their like blueprint for healthy oceans, and resilient coastal communities, there was a specific annex looking at ocean plastics and an ocean plastics charter. Um and and yeah, like it's it has like some really lovely sort of talking points in it looking at like sustainable product design and looking at recycled content and encouraging manufacturers to do different things and individual countries being encouraged to take action that way. And like, yeah, cool, like banning plastics or whatever is kind of loosely tossed around. But ultimately, like I said, when you get into something this high level, it, it unfortunately doesn't really amount to much of anything beyond really nice words and cute intentions. Because it's not binding, um, and uh, honestly, one of the best sort of recent examples of that I can come up with are—it wasn't G7, but the G20—just a couple of years ago, said that they were going to um, stop all fossil fuel subsidization within the next few years, and then you've got a country like Canada who signed on to that piece of text um, as a member of the G20, turning around and tossing four point whatever billion dollars at Kinder Morgan. So all of the yeah it's it's hard to be anything other than cynical when you're looking at documents like this
0: well and it's and it's again it's something that's normal that would you know come up with and, and lots of these statements are made I, I don't think they're entirely meaningless because then at least someone is on the record taking a position on that uh, to which they can be compared I think that's the yeah that's valid the yeah, I mean, them saying it is not the thing but the thing that they said it means that when they don't do something else we can say hey doesn't this conflict with this thing you just said I think that's really the extent of the per- like that's it's entire usefulness wrapped up there Um, and I think it used to also in a, in a pre-Trump world also may have had slightly more value uh, in the sense mm-hmm. that there was a, there was a sense that oh I said that I really have to at least come up with a good reason why I didn't do it. Um, Whereas there's sort of two dynamics. If you're more on the sort of Trump end of the political spectrum, you're like, oh, okay, we just don't, we can just flat out lie now. This is just a thing obviously you can get away with. And the bar (coughs) has been lowered on, on how slimy you can be uh, if you want to. Uh, And also at the same point, um, even if you're not in that slimy category, there's so much distraction going on just politically in the world, in the news media, that it's kind of, you know, that now is the golden time. If you were trying to pull off the heist of the century, I think, because there's just so much focus on that, that, that all the air has been sucked out of every other room everywhere
3: yeah no exactly yeah like i'm sure most of our listeners know um trump in the u.s didn't even stay for the for the entirety of the summit once the conversation shifted to climate and oceans they were like "Okay, hey, peace and out going to singapore bye um and the and the u.s didn't bother to sign on to the communique and i think japan also didn't sign on to at least the ocean plastics charter part or maybe it was the entire healthy oceans Part of the communicate, and I think that's because primarily it was looking at illegal fishing operations and pledging to sort of crack down on illegal fishing operations, yeah. and that's a point of contention. Um,
0: and at the uh, at the end of the the first article too, it was that the United Nations on Tuesday released a report on plastic pollution to coincide with World Environment Day, <laughs> listed yeah. fifty countries that are taking national action on plastics and styrofoam, and Canada was not on the list.
3: Yeah, right. That's the thing. So you've got Trudeau standing up. Is encouraging everybody or like sort of like emphatically encouraging everybody to take meaningful action. And, and Catherine McKenna touting the, uh, like the, the oceans protection plan that they launched a couple months ago. And it's, it's hollow and meaningless and everybody sort of knows it. And I don't know, maybe I'm just in a bad mood cause I'm traveling today, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that it, it's interesting, but so, so going back to more on the, just like a general, um, Uh, oceans uh, part of it as well, like in a general Mm -hmm. sense, like, again, like these are, these are things which if you take them at face value, a lot of it sounds pretty great. I mean, uh, there's acknowledgments here of uh, legitimate issues with um, uh, like urgent, uh, legitimately urgent issues, as in, as in they are right to be prioritized um, and uh, language and descriptions of that, that demonstrate a, a general genu- generally speaking although i would make an exception when it comes to climate science but generally speaking uh, speaking accepts the reality there um, but there's no teeth and i but i don't think the criticism is you know th- that they should have put teeth in it it's i don't know how you put teeth in it and i think my frustration is right around like who do you think you're fooling that this will do it anything rather than you know some naive thinking that trudeau could have put teeth in it
3: yeah that's exactly yeah you you can't really put teeth into something like this just because like I said, it's like it's, it's not a binding document. You can't force a sovereign body to to enact any sort of specific legislature. Um, but yeah, it all just it's it's it sort of frustrates me on obviously on a number of levels. But one of them is also just um, there's a statement that McKenna put out sort of prior to or maybe like right at the beginning of the summit talking about like they, they might include some sort of plastics charter or like she used the specific words or a zero waste goal. And obviously, I'm not scornful of anybody who, who's involved in the zero-waste movement. I think that's a really great personal initiative. But what that shows me is that this is, this is, this is completely just capitalizing on, on buzzworthy, internet-trending, Instagrammable initiatives right now. And, and, and I don't want to sort of doubt their good intentions, but to me, that's sort of all this, this, this amounts to. is like, ooh, a new season of Blue Planet came out this year, so everybody cares a lot about ocean plastics right
0: now. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, and to just sort of tie back to what I was uh, saying before we had you on was that there's a portion of the public here that's going to see, d- read this, you know, document like this and all they're going to see is, like in that, like Charlie Brown, like when I forget when the teacher's talking and it's just a, mama, mama, mama. <laughs> all they're hearing is here's a bunch of stuff that doesn't affect me in any way. And I'm skeptical is even real. And it Sounds very expensive. And, and, and the, the, the issue there is not, don't do it. It's yes, you have to do this, but you also like, you have to actually make the case that this is going to improve Canadians lives. You can't assume that they're imbuing that from what you're saying, because only, only a portion of the the people who even elected you, much less the full electorate actually believes that right now. And it's true, but you have to like, this is my broken record thing, but you have to actually make the case about how this is going to help people. You can't just assume that they're with you. You have to get them to where you are. Um, But that's, that's been my hobby horse for quite some time i'll, I'll stop that rant really short uh, lauren i'm hoping uh because we, we skipped a story that i think is related to this uh, i'm just going to get dave to jump in here and we'll come back to it i think yeah, i course. think there's some relation we can make between them but we, we skipped over the details of the doug story so i'm going to get dave to jump mm. in here uh, hello lauren hi so, doug, uh, dave
3: <laughs> hello so yeah i almost called did... you doug i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> well <clears throat>
2: Doug is now going to be the most popular baby name in Ontario. Oh, God. Um, So the Toronto Star Star is touting a recent study of uh, post-election voters meant to determine why so many people voted for progressive conservative leader Doug Ford. The study appears to show that Doug Ford was elected Premier of Ontario due to widespread perceptions that he will save us all a bunch of money. Conservative strategist Jamie Watt opines that Ford may be able to immediately, quote, call in auditors and cut 10 cents off the gas tax, and that his constituents, quote, want action fast. Fast, fast, fast. They don't expect any study, any shilly-shally, dilly-dally. The study suggests that Ford voters want more money now and aren't as concerned with pharmacare or infrastructure or anything like what Star reporter Rob Ferguson is calling projects, quote, aimed at the next generation. Watt says this selfish impatience of Ford's electorate, quote, becomes important as he confronts the reality of governing. A middle-aged woman in a greater Toronto area focus group told researchers she can't put money into savings because her utilities and gas costs are too high. Another woman said Ford was a joke, but that he has people around him who will hopefully govern well. Watt says that Ford is viewed as an everyman because he talks to people rather than at them. Participants in the study also reported believing that Ford's business experience will allow him to attract jobs to Ontario, and that a $15 minimum wage is too high.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's uh, my my interpretation of of that information was that that plays into what I was saying. You don't, you know, the, neither listener nor anyone else in the room has to necessarily agree with that, but that's sort of my reading of that was that's what happens when you don't make your case and you just talk. You just talk as if you're assuming. Um, people are going to agree with you. So, right, I mean, those things that the the liberals sort of promised at the last minute there um, were things that arguably people would want, but there was a huge amount of tone de- deafness as to the, the way people were feeling. And it's not that they don't want those things, that they don't appreciate, and it's not that nobody in Ontario has a an older family member or a younger family member who, who needs health care or any of those other things, but when their reality uh, is, is such that hey, I I can't think that far out because I'm having trouble paying for something today. Right or wrong, you're not going to reach them with uh, what if we gave you even more things. Um, and I just think that, that that speaks to the peril that, and it, it, what I, my view of this is to use this as a read of concern uh, for the next federal election that, that Trudeau is going to mimic this mistake and do a bunch of well meaning things, not quite enough well meaning things that he r- gets the same enthusiasm from the quote unquote left that he got last time, um, and also just doesn't even bother trying to make the case to, to other folks who might be convinced. Uh, and I don't know. Do you, how far off am I, Lauren?
3: I don't think you're off <laughs> necessarily. It's just, uh, I think this whole election has just left me so disillusioned and so upset with, with such a large swath of the population who voted hearing, hearing sort of like those buzzy statements, like I'm going to cut gas by 10 cents or blah, 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 without sort of a, there wasn't a platform for them to look at. So there was no way they could sort of do a deep dive to understand the ramifications or like the, the, the makeup of those decisions but. This is, it, it boggles my mind that people either didn't care or, or didn't think to, to dig into those statements, because something like the like pledging to cut gas by 10 cents, which if, I, if I'm reading my notes properly, we' losing 4.3 cents off the gas price by eliminating um, the carbon price, um, and then eliminating a further 5.7 cents by cutting the existing gas tax which ultimately when you add all those things together is going to result in an annual loss of $1.2 billion to the provincial budget. And I, and I know maybe we don't necessarily care about the provincial budget on a day-to-day basis. It might not mean a lot to, to many of us, but, but that's $1.2 billion. That's, that's not going to be around in the public coffers for us to draw from for, for infrastructure and further green initiatives and subsidization in, in other areas. So it's, it's just sort of disheartening to realize that, although you're right, uh, Doug Ford did speak to a lot of people in his in his sort of statements like that, like "Oh, beer is going to be a dollar. I'm going to cut your gas prices. I'm going to save you money this way and that way." It's 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 going to end up costing us so much more in the long run, and it's sort of surprising that people didn't didn't sort of just pause for a moment to consider those things a little bit further.
0: Yeah, and I think you can like, as I think, arguably. Um Kathleen Wynne did try and sort of make the case for that. I mean, the the last final days was costing. And even now after the election, there's been, um, you know, talk in um, government about, hey, you better show how what you're how you're going to make up for all this money you're not going to have from from canceling the cap and trade system, for instance. Um, But it's too late. I think you have to like people already have the idea in an idea in their head that this is not doing anything tangible for them that they can see. Um, and so when someone comes away, you, Hey, you know, that thing that's very, very expensive, that doesn't actually meaningful impact your, your life in any way, even though that's false. Um, mm-hmm. it's very hard to then start saying, no, no, it actually saves you money because in 2025, like that is true. Then that's a case you have to make, but you have, have to make that case when you're doing it. Um, and you, and you know, obviously have to not let it shove a whole bunch of people into poverty. Um, so anyway, I could, uh, I could sit here and, and, uh, pretend to be a politician all day in fact i probably (laughs) will on another week um but i think we should go to our uh i think we should go to our final music break here we have yeah we have about a minute or two left there lauren did you um have a a final comment either on that or the g7 issue um or maybe some advice about um how to not feel so much despair today i don't know if you have that in you oh
3: boy (laughs) um
0: what are you doing to brighten your day today lauren
3: um well i'm I'm flying out east for a friend's wedding, so I'm using a ton of carbon and I'm sure somebody's gonna call me out on that um <laughs> but ultimately it's for a good cause and it's to to hang out by the ocean. So if you're by the ocean today and you're a listener, go dip your toes and hang out in the sun and and remind yourself why you care about the environment why you're listening to this podcast in the first place because the world is a beautiful place and love is ultimately what will save it.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. Right, we're going to go into our second and final break. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. We'll see you again soon. We're going to head back into the studio uh, to Megan, who will tell us what our second and final music break will be. All right, we are back here in the home stretch of the Green Majority Radio program here or the podcast. If you're uh, listening uh, live and you uh, wish to catch the rest of the show or other shows, you can do that at greenmajority.ca uh, or you can listen live as you might be right now at CIUT 89.5 or some of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners. Uh, as I was gabbing too much in the first section, uh, I'm going to now throw immediately to Dave. We, of course, have Peggy Sue who's been in the studio, but we're going to talk a little bit about what she's been up to specifically. Uh, but before we do that, uh, Dave, we do have a couple news stories left. To get to so why don 't you take it off?
2: Yes, so um, this is the patreon um, supporter uh, requested news story. It is the um, this is a spill in Coldwater BC so Janice Antoine and Percy Joe, a couple living on the Coldwater First Nations Reserve near Merritt BC, were told four years ago about a Kinder Morgan trans Mountain pipeline spill on their property. No one has come to clean up the spill, and now that the federal government is set to take over the pipeline, it is unclear who the couple can turn to for accountability. They were told at the time that it was merely a small technical issue that caused Kinder Morgan to dig a large hole in their land and build a fence around it, but it was later discovered that it was an underground spill that had been lurking there for more than 40 years. They have not been told how bad the contamination is or how it could have been impacting their health and the health of Antoine's children, whom she raised on the property. The Coldwater Band strongly opposes the Trans Mountain Expansion Project and is currently involved in legal challenges to the pipeline, and the couple wonders if this has anything to do with the fact that the spill is not being cleaned. Kinder Morgan did, not begin, clean, did begin cleanup work and discovered that contamination had occurred in the soil and groundwater, but they have since stopped and they may not yet have identified all of the contamination. One report says that over 1,500 cubic meters of soil will need to be removed, and there may be more contamination to be found after the digging begins. In the meantime, the couple is taking financial losses because they can't lease their land for agriculture. They have also had to purchase water rather than draw it from their well, which is very close to the 66-year-old pipeline. The couple rejected a $55,000 settlement Kinder Morgan offered last year because it did not address all their concerns. Kinder Morgan claims to have not been granted permission onto the site, but the Coldwater Band and the couple involved say that Kinder Morgan is overstepping their bounds by looking for a certain kind of permission under the Indian Act. Chief Lee Spehan of the Coldwater Band says the company was trying to keep it quiet and that Kinder Morgan needs to be more honest, respectful, and working faster to fix the problem. The incident has, of course, only increased the community's concerns over the Trans Mountain Expansion project. And the band is also still waiting for the enactment of a court ruling last fall, which found that Ottawa did not respect its legal responsibility to act in the best interests of the cold water community when negotiating the route of the pipeline. Janice Antoine told the CBC, quote, There's an imbalance in power of knowledge. It's frightening because it feels like I am going to be forced to accept that nothing gets done
0: not a lot to say about that other than um this happens a lot it's not a rare isolated story we uh we hear about these sorts of things all the time i think it's important to check in especially when there's a a personal angle here in the sense that we can we can identify two people specifically who have been affected but yeah 40 years of spills nobody noticed that's really all i got to say yeah about just
2: that. sitting in the ground there for 40 years yeah yeah there it is.
0: uh what else we got dave
2: so, well, we don't have anything else. Now we're going to turn. Oh, well great. We have a couple stories to speak with uh, Peggy Sue about. So there are news yes. items. Yes. Oh, yes. There, well, there yes. are news items that our fashion, uh, our sustainable fashion expert and practitioner, Peggy Sue, uh, will uh, help us speak on in the in the story. So so thank you for joining us today, Peggy Sue.
1: No problem. My pleasure.
2: Um, now, so you are a sustainable fashion designer. Uh, you can find her work at PeggySueCollection.com. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful natural clothing.
0: I've worn several of the pieces on more than one occasion. Wow. Thank you, Peggy. No okay. problem. Thanks, sir. Sir. <laughs> yeah. um, so
2: first, um, I just wanted to, to talk about how blockchain, uh, how blockchain could be used in the uh, fashion industry. So first, I'm going to attempt to design to define blockchain, which uh, is uh, close to impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at so blockchain is a decentralized digital ledger. <clears throat> Whose records are stored in as many computers as are a part of the network of transactions, and it is open to anyone to edit, where every transaction is recorded and open for scrutiny, which ensures any transaction's authenticity. Um, the article that we read uh, uh, likened it to a Google Doc that uh, anybody can see uh, the history of, mm-hmm. but nobody owns, which makes it uh, which makes which ensures the authenticity, so that other people can, can look at it. Um, It's obviously the basis for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and has two possible emendations to make to the fashion industry. Firstly, blockchain technology could allow producers and consumers to track a company's supply chain, holding them accountable to fair trade, human rights, and environmental standards. And secondly, it could make it much cheaper for progressive companies to provide discounts to consumers through the use of a cryptocurrency redeemable between participating brands.
1: It's pretty remarkable, actually, how much it could... It could really level that playing field. I mean, of course, the the controversy is: well, would it be adopted? Um, because these types of systems are only as effective as the large companies that adopt them. So, if my small company, while ever passionate and you know painstakingly pushing forward, adopted this, it wouldn't be the most meaningful um, of gestures if say someone like an H and M signed on to a blockchain supply chain initiative. Um, and so that therein lies the rub, um, because the, the, um, just the, the amount of clothing generated by uh, that type of a global sourced company, Mm. um, as well as the consumers that it educates and, um, and captures with its products is where you could really see it be the most effective. Um, so Yes, it really could be a radical solution to supply chain transparency, Mm. which we are constantly being reminded of unfair labor wages, um, the abuses and gender violence that takes place. I mean, we (laughs) the most recent article of, yes, while Adidas is certainly partnering with Parley to create upcycled ocean plastic uh, wares, uh, they also just beat out Nike in their bid for the uh, World Cup jerseys using really awful labor wage practices. So mm-hmm. it, it is a slippery slope mm-hmm. to be sure.
2: Yeah, the art, the art, the article made an interesting point uh, where it suggested that cell phones could be used to so scan the tag of a clothing uh, piece of a clothing item and then you immediately see uh, the history of that supply chain. However, I don't know how it could work online, where most people are probably doing their clothing shopping these days.
1: Oh, quite similarly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the matter of um, you know, with your phone, you would scan a QR code, mm-hmm. and then it would populate with all of the data and information. The same would happen essentially when you go to uh, clicking the you know the purchase in an e-shop. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the local uh, companies, uh, Green Story. Um, they do a remarkable job at helping companies at their checkout understand what their impacts are mm. um so it's it's really just onboarding that kind of a technology mm. um and being willing uh, to have that discussion with your consumers like we spoke about earlier asking those harder questions you know it's not enough to just say i will you know reduce costs by 10% on gas but how are you doing so how is this shirt um you know reducing uh plastic waste mm. so that's mm. So there are many pitfalls to it. For the longest time, when recycled poly was just becoming a new fiber, it was cheaper to first make brand new plastic bottles and then recycle them and make recycled poly fiber out of it, <laughs> as opposed to getting plastic bottles from landfill and remaking it into fiber. So, yeah, the authenticity of of a material, its origin, the labor practices behind it, um, are, are just, uh, consumed in shade. And so when, when customers, um, decide to ask questions, um, it's, it's a bold statement, Mm -hmm. uh, because your money, your capital is how these businesses stay afloat.
2: Mm-hmm. And the comp- it's the kind of thing where companies will have to voluntarily adopt such practices. But if it becomes more culturally widespread, then more companies will be uh, pressured to do so.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Um, we've, we've seen that already um, with H&M's uh, take-back initiatives. So they collect all of your unwanted garments and clothes. I mean, yes. What they're not telling you is that they, too, still don't know what to do with them. And they're just storing them in massive warehouses out <laughs> of sight. But other companies, too, are starting to feel the pressure to, oh, maybe we should we, too, should collect clothing and mm. see what we can do with it. Um, it's insidious because H&M using it as free new fiber that they're breaking back down to remake new products and sell back to you.
0: Mm. There's a just really I want to get super sidetracked. We obviously don't have a ton of time, but where, without getting into the super nitty gritty of it, do you think? Do you see a, a pathway? So I'm not asking you how likely do you, it is. I'm just saying, like, do you see a possibility? Do you see a path by which um, something like that could be taken on in a large scale or, or even ubiquitously uh, with any with anything short of like global trade legislation? Like, is because I'm I'm struggling to see. Um, a really good reason that wouldn't have a even better counter argument from the company's pure profit motive point of view to do anything like this voluntarily
1: yeah i mean it would be just incredible if there was a global initiative to have anyone producing um any portion within a garment supply chain have to ascribe to a blockchain database model um, and then it would be going through those types of um, that type of traceability would be how you'd find your suppliers, how you'd connect with your farmers. I mean, it would it would be game changing. Mm-hmm.
0: One of, again, not getting sucked into it, but one of the, my criticisms of sort of capitalism before is not that I don't like capitalism is that we don't have it. See a previous episode. I'm not doing that diatribe right now. Uh, but the, one of the, the falsities of sort of modern economic, uh, the religion of modern capitalist economics is that is one of the bases is this idea that the consumers have perfect information, which is obviously laughably untrue. Um, maybe they will, though. Maybe one day this this model would actually be true because one day we actually do have near perfect information. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to buy them any slack here, but it just it's an amusing that perhaps there is a future where there is nowhere for the companies to hide and we just end up with a de facto perfectly informed society. Who knows?
1: I mean, the easiest way to under undermine a blockchain is to uh, simply be the contractor on the blockchain and then subcontract out to another individual who is not within the blockchain system. It's mm-hmm. already done within apparel supply chain companies. That's how people subverted the system. It works really well.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Bangladesh and Rana Plaza.
2: Right. Wow. Yeah. All right. So um, yeah. So we'll move on to the ocean plastics mm-hmm. issue. I guess. I suppose. So the um, thing that we talked about previous. Um, Talked about talking on the show mm. uh, about on the show was um, a lot of companies attempting to um, appear as environmentalist uh, appear to have environmentalist initiatives through creating clothing um, from recycled ocean plastics and there are a lot of companies um, that call themselves environmental uh, a lot of apparel companies that do so but it's sort of unclear you know the actual positive impact of their actions. Sure. So um, I suppose we'll just we'll just. Um, uh, just talk about the issue for a second. So, um, what was, uh, what was the ocean plastics thing?
1: So the ocean plastics (laughs) thing, uh, so there are a few ways that companies go about, um, Helping these dredge the ocean, clean the ocean campaigns that are that are taking place. Um, so either you're a really large company uh, like like an H and M, like a Timberland, uh, like an Adidas, where you can partner with companies like Parley, who are dredging the ocean and really pulling out plastic waste, mm. um, and then you can take this waste and and fund amazing R and D to turn this waste into usable yarns and fibers for fabrics, mm-hmm. um, and, and wonderful 3d printed technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the money often, uh, used for that R and D is derived from those fast fashion profits that are taken from questionable labor and fiber sources. Mm-hmm. So they're able to cross fund that technology, technology improvement. Um, other companies like Eileen Fisher and, um, and Stella McCartney are, Th- those two companies are just above above reproach. They're incredible. They are, unfortunately, designer lines that are a little price point prohibitive. But that is truly because you're getting the true cost. Mm. It's not being cross-subsidized with questionable practices. Their sustainability is just remarkable. Mm. Um, and so if you want to see how it's done right, check out those two companies.
2: Stella McCartney?
1: Stella McCartney and Eileen Fisher. Mm. uh, Green Eileen, particularly. Mm. Um, And then there are other companies that don't have that kind of funding that are able to, however, divert a percentage, a small percentage of their profits, not the cost of the good, the profit from the good, which is already quite small, into those types of initiatives. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're helping to address the root of the problem. They may still be using... um, new poly, new plastic materials, mm-hmm. uh, elastics um, uh, within spandex, within their products, mm-hmm. um, sp- particularly sportswear brands, uh, because everyone needs synthetic within their sportswear. Um, so that's uh, sort of a dis- disgenuine gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is still how a lot of people address the issue. Um, yeah. Another way that it is addressed is by using recycled poly uh, fibers and fabrics, which is a little more accessible, um, because it is a recycled poly is a fiber that's been around, but it's derived from landfill plastics. Mm -hmm. It's very new that now the, the source of those plastics is the ocean. Mm -hmm. That's what's new. Not that plastics being recycled, that plastic from the ocean and it's a different type of plastic Mm -hmm. is being recycled. And so, And so um, what we've now found is the issue is, well, even if you have that recycled poly garment in your in your wardrobe, when you wash it Mm -hmm. and it uh, washes out into the ocean, uh, these microfibers are are washing out along with your your wash cycle. Mm -hmm. So there aren't the proper filters on washing machines Um, and and it doesn't look like the sewage systems or washing machine companies are going to be making this change. Patagonia is the only company, as far as I know, who's actually created what's called a guppy bag that you Mm -hmm. put your poly clothing into and then wash. Mm -hmm. Um, It's ridiculous. It's a $40 (laughs) bag, but it's at least a acknowledgement, like a public acknowledgement on their website saying, this is a problem. Um, Otherwise, There really aren't solutions. Every time you purchase a synthetic garment and wash it, you Mm -hmm. are putting plastic in the ocean.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like, so the reason is that we're looking at there are five massive spirals of plastic in the oceans. Mm -hmm. There's like, there's one massive spiraling mass of plastic for each ocean, essentially. (laughs) And so these companies are are taking the the plastic out of the ocean and creating new fabric with (laughs) the plastic uh amazing technological stuff i mean it's 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 it doesn't even, it doesn't even seem like you know it just seems Red like blasting. wonderful fiber yeah. but yes um so a study 6 years ago showed that a single synthetic garment can produce more than 1900 microfibers per wash which then find their way back into the world's water systems but yes, uh, there's there's a possibility of uh, having filters on washing machines. Obviously, none of them exist already to catch the microplastics. Um, Some
1: of them do. They are oh, very price prohibitive. Okay. Yes, but they are the like exception.
2: Yeah. So the problem is, you're taking the plastic from the ocean, and that, but you're making it into clothing that needs to be washed quite frequently, and the plastic just gets essentially washed back out into the, into the environment.
1: Yes, and just to touch on quickly what you said. Yes, poly synthetic garments do need to be washed much more frequently than yeah. natural fiber garments because natural fiber garments breathe. Um, animal fibers actually uh, do a great job in wicking away sweat and um, mm-hmm. and odor, um, whereas poly fibers are just plastic. Your your skin your body is not able to breathe, therefore it sweats more. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't used to wearing natural fibers against their body, so mm-hmm. it takes a time a time of adjustment actually.
2: So a better solution for the recycling of ocean plastics is creating
1: um, not garments.
2: Yeah, like furniture and um, tchotchkes and so forth.
1: Yes, typically more functional chachkas. But <laughs> if we must, chachka.
2: Tiny little urn, you know? Don't you love that kind of stuff? A Tyn- tiny, pin. tiny little urns, little boxes, little
0: figurines. I, I can actually solve that. We, we're we're out of time. We've got to go. But I can solve that for you anyway. You need to be making uh, turning the plastic into pots for all the growing of home pot that is going to happen uh, <laughs> later this summer when uh, when it's legalized for everyone in the country to grow their own wild west um quick we shout out several million growing pots
1: quick shout out to CR plastics a company in stratford who actually recycles ontario plastic into patio furniture
0: there we go there it thank is. you very much peggy sue thank you very much to dave and to megan and the other uh, volunteers uh, behind the scenes as well as to our listeners thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back next week stay tuned have a good green week and take care